Today on the first episode of Foodstuffs. We're talking Canadian identity and the role of the Chinese Canadian restaurant in every small town. And then we go fishing in a swimming pool and we talk about food access in inner city Toronto. I'm Connie Sang, documentary photographer, and you're listening to Foodstuffs. Watch yourself, watch yourself. Welcome to the first episode of Foodstuffs, a podcast that starts at food and ends up anywhere. Did that work okay? That that was okay. <laughs> I'm not I'm not married to it. Okay, we'll try it again. Good. We started to make a podcast a year ago, over a year ago now. Um, and for a while there we were coming up with a lot of themes, but the thing that was tying it together wasn't quite gelling or we weren't happy with any of it. Um, and then we came back from the holidays and... And you said, what about a food podcast? And ah. then you said, okay. Yeah. And then from that moment forward, everything just clicked, which was pretty... I, I mean, that's when I knew everything was going to be just fine. I think so. And I think it was because there was, like you said, so many things that we wanted to talk about. Um, and what we found was food was that connection point to so many of, of those issues. Uh, access, uh, community, uh, family, health, nutrition, politics. politics yeah. And that's um, something that I sort of first uh, realized when I was working on a project uh, about urban agriculture in uh, Toronto. Food's been so important to me, and I started to meet so many other people that were so passionate about food and coming at it from all these different angles. And that's what really made me feel like this was such a good place to start. But what about you? What made you think that you could talk about food? I guess when I moved to Toronto, which was in 2012, um, shortly thereafter, I started working um, for a, an amazing chef in the West End um, who happens to be from Halifax as well. And I was just blown away by these ingredients that were so familiar to me that I never cared about being used in a new and innovative way. Um, but yeah, that's not the point of what I want to be doing here. I don't want to be talking about chefs and restaurants and plates of food and the hot new ingredients or anything like that. But I think more than anything, it just sort of awoke this passion in me that made me really thoughtful about what I was eating, why I thought it was delicious. By no means am I high on the hog living my life. High on the, the hog? <laughs> Is that what we should have named this podcast? I high think, on the <laughs> yeah, that'll be the spinoff podcast. That's high the on the hog. <laughs> Deal. Yeah. So where should we start? I think, well, let's go back to April, a snowy mid-afternoon at Taste of China. That's right. That's a perfect place to start because that was the first interview we did together. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah, we I sat, help it. <laughs> <laughs> we sat down with uh, a good friend of mine, Connie Sang, who's a, just an amazing photographer. I've known her for a number of years. She grew up in a small town called Port Rowan, Ontario, where her family owned and operated a Chinese-Canadian restaurant. And when her parents decided that it was time to close the restaurant, she started taking photos of them and of the restaurant, just trying to make sure that they weren't going to forget this time in their lives. Well, that evolved into Asia X Canada, Connie's new photography project, where she goes to other Chinese and Asian-run family restaurants and takes photos and documents what life is like for them. So without further ado, this is photographer Connie Sang. 
I initially wanted to start documenting restaurants like my parents, um, people from basically southern China, southeastern China, um, who opened up a lot of these Cantonese restaurants in small town Ontario. Um, this is a long-term project. I'm not trying to conquer everything in one year and make this as an exhibit. I'm just trying to document things. Where did the inspiration for this project come from? I took a lot of photos of my parents um, at their restaurant before they retired because I thought it was really important to document something that I would never see again. That was a big part of my life. I feel it's so important to document history, not just mine, but everyone else's as well. People forget all the time. They, they lose their family members very quickly, and they forget things like their grandma's recipe for borscht or something, and no one has it or they don't even know that their grandfather fought in a certain war and all of his crazy war stories, and then you're just left with the whole family commiserating about the fact that they didn't really know their parents or grandparents. And I feel that that's a shame, and I also think that documentary is so important for the Canadian culture in a way, because we're a country full of a lot of cultures. And I'm not here to document every single thing and not to prove that Canada's multicultural haven or anything like that, but I just want to show the pocket that I know and that I'm familiar with. So what about this, this project? Do, do your, your parents interested in it? Like, do they get why you're interested in it? What do they think no. about it? <laughs> uh, I don't think they've ever really understood why I cared so much. I started taking photographs of them, I don't know, not officially in the high school years, more importantly when I knew that they were selling the restaurant because that's when I started to panic and realized I didn't have much documented. Um, and any time I put my camera up, my dad would be like, why are you doing this? Why are you taking pictures of me? So they just didn't understand why I was just standing around watching them. They thought I was wasting my time and that I should probably be head in books and doing something important. But I actually took a bunch of pictures of them and then wrote a little story and then just self-published it on some online program. And I gave it to them and they really appreciated it then, I think. They wouldn't say it, of course. They're Chinese and they don't really, they're not affectionate or they don't really commend you for anything. But I, I could tell in their eyes that they were proud, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you grew up working and living really in this, in this restaurant. What was it like growing up that way and living in a restaurant? Um, when I was a little kid, I thought it was fun because I got a lot of attention. I would be the one bringing out the fortune cookies and everyone would say, oh, she's so cute. Um, and then Anytime I invited my friends, they would be so excited because they knew they could get free food and we'd get to work the pop machines, you know, like make all these mixes of different pops and like get all the chocolate milk we wanted. Um, but then as I got older, I got forced into actual serving. Um, and this was as early as 13. Um, I hated that part. Um, beyond that, because we lived basically in the restaurant, our accommodations were attached behind the kitchen. 
all of our clothes and everything smelled like grease and I didn't realize it at the time, but now I, in retrospect, I realized that everyone was making fun of me because every time I walked into a room, everyone would say, oh my God, it smells like French fries in here. Or, And I I never understood. It just kind of went over my head. I thought, huh, I don't smell it. <laughs> and also kids, if things were stale, like I think we had stale fortune cookies one time. And the next day I went to school with one of the kids just kept making fun of me and telling everyone that we sold stale fortune cookies. And as a kid, that's really embarrassing. I don't want to be known as that family, that immigrant family who's come in and then selling expired food, basically. Because we had a lot to deal with anyway, because everyone thought we served dog and cat. <laughs> I remember one of my um, friends, actually, he came and he asked my mom, is it true that Chinese restaurants serve cat? And my mom's response, it was kind of funny, she said, don't be ridiculous, cats are so expensive. <laughs> like, out of all the things she could have said, like, she doesn't eat cat, like, we don't eat cat or dog at all, but um, she was thinking of it cost-wise, this doesn't make sense, chicken's, like, way cheaper. <laughs> that wasn't even a joke, she was serious. <laughs> We're in Taste of China. Wow. I'm tasting it. It's We're, so tasty. It's so tasty. It is tasty. And we're talking with... Connie Sang. Yes. Uh, and we're talking about her, her project, Asia, Asia X Canada. Mm -hmm. For some reason, that's hard for me to say. Yeah, I may change the name. Okay. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to crunch into yeah. this? Yeah, we yeah let's. Crack in. All right. So, every time you eat something deep fried now, does that bring you back to? It must, because I eat a lot of deep fried food. <laughs> Seriously, I think that's my comfort food. Um, and I do have cravings for like the, like the Mandarin style Chinese food, which is kind of more Canadianized. Yeah. How does the food compare to the food in your in the restaurant? Oh, very different. Yeah. Um, what was that? What was that like? It was sort of Chinese and Canadian, or? We had the typical stuff like. Uh, hamburgers and fries and hamburger steak um, because there would be a lot of small town people who would come in and a lot of them are just there for their noon hour construction break yeah. um, and some of them just aren't really into Chinese food so that's why we had to kind of cater to them and also when big groups of people come in there's always kids who can't stand ch Chinese food. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even our Chinese food was just the typical stuff that you'd find in most of small-town Ontario and what was created basically when the Chinese first came here and had to start making their own businesses. Um, they just wanted to make food that was appetizing to the locals and not maybe as scary. Mm -hmm. They found a lot of the local cuisine was very sweet, so that's why they invented all that stuff like sweet and sour sauce, and that's kind of what we sold. A lot of deep fried things, sweet and sour sauce, uh, chop suey. Now, when you go to other people's restaurants and you're, um, you're, you're taking your photos and you're, and you're speaking with them, do you, does that bring you back to your old restaurant and do you see yourself and your parents back there what is what is that experience like when you're in someone else's place yeah it does bring back a lot of stuff and maybe that's why I'm doing it it's just this trying to connect to that area of my life 
hold on to it a hold little bit. Hold on to it, yeah. It's like comfort food. Even, I know, know I'm comfortable there. I don't have any problems. Um, most of these places usually attract more of the blue-collar sort of clientele, and that's what I'm most comfortable with anyway. Um, like, I feel like those places, there's no judgment. You are sort of thinking about them now and where they're going. Do you see them surviving? Uh, Will it always be a place in the small town for the Chinese community around I don't know, to tell you the truth. And I think that's why I was worried and why I initially wanted to start this project, because I can see the shift for sure. Um, I feel people are looking for more authenticity now. Um, they want the real experience. Like when, when you talk to someone about, say, going to a Thai restaurant here in Toronto, and someone says, "Oh yeah, that place is really good," and you'll always get that person who will say, "Yeah, but it's not like it was in Thailand. You know, it's not like the real street pad Thai. Like this stuff is too sweet." Um, so you'll always get that sort of person out there and that like affects a lot of people because when that person says that to you, you, you think man, I'm dumb, like I'm not worldly so let's find this real real authentic shit, right? And try to eat that and so in a way it's like this kind of status sort of thing if you eat this sweet and sour stuff, ironically it's cool, like you're drunk and you're like, yeah, let's get some sweet and sour chicken oh yeah, it's really awesome and everyone's into it but if you decide to gather a group of your 20, 30-something friends in the city and said, hey, guys want to go for Mandarin? It's probably, <laughs> probably not as cool of a thing to do unless you're being ironic. Do you feel like does this project make you feel more like a documentarian or a photographer? I've always considered myself a documentarian. I'd say I, I didn't actually want to be a photographer. <laughs> um, it was something that slipped like just fell into my lap I think the photography thing is just a tool it's just making sure that people remember stories I, I love stories and what about the, the project do you, when you think about the project do you think it's more about food or family or perhaps something else it's definitely about family more than food I'd say it's about family and how people adapt to their environment and vice versa. How basically the, these small town restaurants have kind of shaped the small towns in a way as well, which is strange for someone who comes from another country and then will come into these small towns and go, what, what's, why is there this one Chinese family here in every, every small town that we run into? I find that fascinating. What are you, what are you getting out of this? Um, it's it's basically as someone who enjoys documenting things, it's just creating a timeline of the life as I see it, and but also connecting it to my past as well because I, I thought it was so important in my life. I'd like to maybe share that with the um, future offspring of the people who have the restaurants now. And that's what I was going to follow with this saying is like, who is, who is this really for? Is it obviously there is that sort of that posterity for future generations. Is it in a way for your parents, do you think? Or like you said before, they don't care anyway or they're... they're yeah. <laughs> Maybe you've hit on something. I don't know, Ryan. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I, I think 
Canadian identity is big for me, and identity in general. I was confused as a kid, and I didn't know what I was. At home, I thought it was Chinese. Outside, I definitely wasn't, but I was. Like, on, on the outside, of my face definitely was Chinese. But I never felt like that. I was into all the pop culture things of Canada, and I never fit in that world. I guess it's just recording some sort of history that explains that we're all different in this country and that it's okay to be different and to have our own stories. Maybe it's also to encourage other people to make sure that they um, keep their stories intact as well because it's so important because if we don't have those, then what is this? Like You'll just see Canada as what the CBC is. And it's a great corporation and everything, but it's not everyone's story. Maybe that's a good place to finish off. I think so. Okay. Thank you, yeah. Thank you so much, Connie. <laughs> no problem. There's still more food to eat, though. I know. I know. More importantly, that was yeah. photographer Connie Sang with a huge supporting role from the Taste of China Spring Rolls. Oh, they were so good. <laughs> I'm really hungry right now. <laughs> I kind of underestimated the role of replaying these things and oh, talking about this, so I'm going to have to up my studio snack game. I think so. Um, I I don't know if you feel the same way, but the amount of times that I've heard the word authenticity in the months since we did that is funny, and it, it just makes you question it, and we're like, you can't help but bring that up. No one can help kind of discussing in those terms, but is it stupid? Is I it don't know. It is that It is something that really, really does exist, that that person... And it's so hard not to be that person when it's like, I've been there. <laughs> I know what it really tastes this like. This isn't the authentic This isn't right. But at the end of the day, just going back to like what motivates me day to day, which is, is something delicious. If it tastes delicious, just shut up. Put it in your mouth. Yeah. So if that was interesting to you, go to our SoundCloud. SoundCloud, yeah. And you can find some more, uh, more about Connie. Yeah. Next up, we talked to Kevin Lee, the executive director, executive coordinator. And all-around amazing community leader, cool guy. At the Scatting Court uh, Community Center, which is at uh, Dundas and Bathurst, just outside of uh, Kensington Market. That is the spot. If anyone has spent time in downtown Toronto, you've probably noticed these, these containers that go along the south side of Dundas, just, just east of Bathurst, um, where you can get food. There's a little bike shop in there. If you've noticed those, Kevin Lee is the man who is behind a lot of these things he is an incredible and energetic and marvelous person with just such great vision and such passion especially around food and community yeah um so today uh on that day we were there to talk to him about the gone fishing program and just to set the scene you know, we walk into Scanning Court Community Center. Kevin takes us through the change rooms, past the showers, out the other side, onto the pool deck. And what do we see but a pool full of fish and three guys sitting out on lawn chairs, just baiting hooks, gone fishing. Uh, let's let him explain it. Yeah, this week uh, we uh, have launched our 13th um, annual Gone Fishing program. It's a program that we started out sort of um, in response to the issues of access. Uh, the issues of access for recreation 
the issues of access for education around environment and ecology, the issues of access around food security and food access. Many of our families are uh, multiracial. Um, some of them are marginalized and do, really don't have access to a car or to a cottage or any means um, to participate in really what is a great Canadian outdoor activity, uh, which was practiced by the Aboriginals um, in Canada before we even arrived. So I think fishing is a tradition within our Canadian culture and within Canadian society, as well as it's a practice that is international. The practice of fishing around the world is really a common co connector in many ways. Um, so whose idea was this initially then? What, did you come up with the idea for Gone Fishing? Or well, the initial idea, yes, uh, uh, was mine, uh, because I think fishing, uh, for me as a young person, growing up in downtown Toronto, um, I was afforded that opportunity uh, through a program um, at a church um, that was able to take um, inner city kids up to uh, a summer camp. And that's where I got hooked on fishing. And I think that activity is, uh, encourages uh, physical outdoor activity. I also think it also um, may persuade people from um, doing, um, shall we say, um, more inappropriate things like drug use and antisocial behavior, antisocial behavior mm -hmm. um, if you had opportunities like that. Yeah. So um, that's the reasons why we've been doing this program over the last 13 years. Very cool. And so who do you find is coming out for these things? Right now there's a, a school class that's in there right now, and, but who else are, is attracted to this? We have got people now coming from across the GTA. Uh, on Saturday, uh, we were full from the time we opened to the time we closed. I had the opportunity to uh, speak and engage with a number of participants, and I asked them, how did you hear about this? Uh, um, um, people came from Mississauga, Oakville, New Market, Toronto, like right across the GTTA. The way how they heard ab about it was through uh, Blog TO, um, the newspapers. But I think this year, uh, due to the demonstration of PETA um, and other protesters, that brought a lot more attention um, to the program in terms of the uptake on the pro the program, the and discussion I, around it. And that's right, and awareness. I would and I would just like to say that uh, PETA, um, we've been in discussion with all last week, and now PETA is a participating partner in the Gone Fishing program. Their partnership with us is that um, they're going to provide us with two thousand um, toy fish. Uh, we'll put them in the baby pool and provide people with the option of either real fishing or they could go in that the little baby pool with six inches of water and scoop out um, some toy fish. And just to be entirely clear, can you just explain what they were hung up on or what, uh, what their bone to pick was? Well, um, I, I think from their group, rightly so, um, is the idea of fishing. Uh, um, and it's the idea that 
you're harming an animal. You're you that is being cruel to like an animal. Particularly with catch and release, or just in general. No, in general, fishing in general, or eating fish, or um, you know, and that's the animal rights and animal welfare people like PETA um, have a position like that, which is okay, which is you know contributing to the conversation, and that's what we are all about is to create the, those opportunities for that engagement of that conversation and dialogue uh, within communities. Mm-hmm. With the kids that are coming through in these school trips, they're taking these fish back to the school with them, which is an amazing image. I like thinking of them all traveling in carrying a fish, each of them. <laughs> but do you think that the teachers are working in kind of food and health? And I believe they are. I believe many of them prepare their students uh, for this visit. Um, for some of our local schools here, this is not their first time. Um, they've been coming to, since the, you know grade uh, uh, four, and they're in grade seven or eight now. Uh, we've got uh, families um, that grew up fishing. Um, you know, there's a, a parents I saw yesterday whose kids have been coming since two, they're going to be turning 10, and they're asking, can they be volunteers next year, you know? Um, so I think, you know, there is uh, certainly a, um, a, a legacy, um, I think, that has been established uh, within the community and within families um, to make it an annual pilgrimage near Father's Day weekend to come down and... Um, uh, share some family time um, with each other in a um, sport that they might not have engaged in. Absolutely. And do you ever get to hear about what happens to the fish when they leave Scadden Court? Do you hear about the dishes that get made? or They cook them, yes. Yeah. Um, and some people are very proud of the recipes that they've come up with um and um, uh, for the fish and uh, we even are able to cook your fish if you come down and catch a fish uh, with one of our vendors in the containers in front of Dundas that's so cool I'm just thinking about the kids reactions we saw a bunch of kids they were pretty excited what is their reaction like when they you actually catch a fish. <laughs> what do you see? Well, it, the excitement, I think, is um, in the heart and in the eyes. Uh, you know, we have disabled children coming in, and I remember one year, children in stretchers uh, who are not mobile came in. We parked them beside the pond, cast their line in, and the fish got on, and we helped them to actually hold on to the rod and the expression out of their eyes still sends chills up my spine when I'm talking about it now in terms of that expression in the eye of that child feeling that fish at the end even though she was not communicative verbally or you know um, any otherwise but the eyes is true the eyes tell it all I, I, I think that's why we do it at the end of the day, um, is the, the gratification that we could see in people who don't have an opportunity to do that. I mean, we, in our country, take it for granted of many of the things that we feel is our birthright, 
you know, uh, be it going out to the great outdoors and going on a canoe trip in Agonkin Park and experiencing, you know, the sound of the loon and seeing um, the midnight sun up in the sky in August. We take that for granted. And when we see, you know, even such a small little effort of, like, providing an opportunity to catch a fish brings out that excitement. Well, folks, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it uh, for us to um, explain and to bring aboard people like PETA and other animal activists into this conversation. And our community deserves that conversation. Our community and our children and the families that we work with, I think, are smart enough to be able to decide for themselves as to what value system and what philosophy um, they want to live by and what they want to build their community with. And for us at Scouting Court, it's not either one. It's a combination of both that creates a healthier community and an active and engaged community to build a better city and a better country. Thank you so much, Kevin. And that was Kevin Lee, the executive coordinator of Scouting Court. Really not a sufficient title, I'm going to say. No. No, he's an amazing person. Such a cool guy, so much energy and passion. And as soon as we were done, he told us about five other ideas that he has that are all amazing. And we hopefully will be able to talk about those. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like waiting for the time where we'll have... It'll, enough time will have passed that we are allowed to go interview Kevin Lee again because he's so smart. Brian, mm-hmm. did we make it through? I think we did. Um, Was that good? <laughs> we'll find out. Okay, so where can people find us? Uh, our website, of course. I want to say it because I think go it's ahead. important more important to me we got foodstuffs.life so. life. <laughs> and of course please connect with us via social media on twitter and instagram at foodstuffslife so coming up on next week's show I speak with Jacob Kiri Moreland who is another man of many many ideas many ideas many ideas such a fascinating guy and he talks about a new way of looking at community gardening. And then I go foraging with my boss and head chef, Jeff Hopgood, who is a master forager, and he shows me some of the tricks of the trade. We left out the part where we went for donairs in Oshawa after. I don't know if that was a mistake, but no. Were they Halifax good? Yeah, not bad. Oh, yeah, they also included some lettuce in it, which is not no. not authentic where I come from, no. but I, I really liked it, actually. I'm Wait a, a second. I might do it again. So if it's not authentic, <laughs> let's go eat something delicious. Yeah, let's go eat. I'm hungry. All right. Bye.